It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. That's TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome in to the Lombardi Line on a Thursday. This show, as always, presented by DraftKings alongside Michael Lombardi. Stormy Bond and Tony with you. And and Michael, I was fully prepared to come into the show today laughing and smiling and joking about Travis Kelsey's yeah. terrible singing on the stage at the Chiefs parade. But un- unfortunately, <laughs> you know, yeah. a, f- a few people had to yeah. take that fun and celebration o- away from Chiefs Kingdom yesterday. Uh, I'm sure everyone has seen the news already, but one woman is dead, 22 others injured with guns, many life-threatening injuries. Nine of those were uh, of those shot were between the ages of six and 15. And and Michael, we, of course, are not NBC News. We are a sports betting network. There are other platforms that if you want more detail and information about this, you can certainly turn to that will cover it far better than we ever will be able to. But when the NFL and the real world collides in this type of way, I think hearing from you and some of your immediate thoughts are are important on a subject like this. Well, I mean, we are people, we are humans and our prayers go beyond the betting world. And I think that's really where all we can do is pray for those who were injured, pray for the families who were involved, pray for the loved ones that they've lost and really just just offer whatever we can do in terms of prayers, thoughts and and our emotions, because it is really sad and you want to celebrate. But this took away from the celebration and all we can do is answer with prayer. And uh, of course, somebody like me who lives in Las Vegas knows all too well um, these types of tragedies. They happen too often with the yeah. NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs both released statements yesterday. Uh, the Chiefs confirmed in their statement, by the way, that everyone with the organization and, and their families were safe and accounted for afterwards. And Albert Breer, even he, he posted just how a number of players were really unbelievable and in calming down some of the panicked kids that were there. I know there was a a report that Andy Reid sat with a kid who was injured and separated from his group. The heroism we saw of a couple good Samaritans tackling one of the shooters. It it was pretty unbelievable to see for, for all of the bad and the terrible that we witnessed yesterday, how 
amazing some human beings can be in those situations. And so, again, like you said, all all of our thoughts go out to to those folks and what's happening there. But like I said off the top, Michael, for people that are tuning into our show today, they're tuning in to get a little bit of levity and hear you scream about bad offseason decisions already and maybe something about the 76ers. (laughs) And so let's make sure that that we give them last night. Yeah. I watched them last sure night. I gave them everything I could. Yeah, it was the fourth quarter meltdown, you know. But, they're, you know, they were a D-League team out there last night, Stormy. So we'll get to that later. <laughs> but but that's it. We want to make sure that we give people an authentic, fun Lombardi line today. Um, take your mind off of some of the bad that's happening in the world. And we love that we get to have the opportunity to be a sports program to do that. And we'll, we'll have a special appearance from Mike Palm in the first hour today. Usually, wow, um, yeah. usually he's a second hour guy, but we'll get Palm's pressing three in hour one. VEASAN's own Mike Somich, professional handicapper, host here at the network, will join us in hour two, give some of his plays for the day and what he's thinking about. And, and Michael, as a 49ers fan, we got some very interesting news over the last 24 yeah. hours as well, that the team has decided to part ways with defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes after one season. And and you brought this up yesterday that Kyle Shanahan's comments in his end of season press conference um, were noncommittal about Steve Wilkes. And then we hear that he calls kind of an emergency phone conference with reporters yesterday where he said it just ended up not being the right fit. It was harder than it needed to be among some other things. Well, when you watch the tape and if you watch the tape all year long, they had these incredible numbers, but a lot of that was related to their ability to play from in front. And as we watched them in the playoffs, they weren't able to stop the run. They weren't able to get control of two of the games. They actually won two games and their defense had to play well in the fourth quarter to do it. But it was more of the talent. And I, and I think this was not the perfect marriage for either Steve Wilkes or for Kyle Shanahan in the sense that, you know, he's trying to come into a system that he doesn't really know. And mm-hmm. you say, well, how does a coach not know? Well, you know, it's one thing to learn the system, to learn the plays. It's another thing to understand the teaching. And he comes in without a staff that he had or people that he was comfortable with. So it was very difficult for Steve. And I think to me, what I kept saying on Sunday during the game, what I kept saying on Monday after the game was, I think Kyle needs to peel back the Band-Aid and start this thing over again because for whatever, the it's not Steve Wilkes' fault for the losing, but there are some inherent faults within the structure of how they play defense that has to change. And only Kyle would know whether he thought Steve could make those adequate changes. So, look, this is the business we've chosen, as Hyman Roth once said. You accept it. You move on. Sometimes you do a great job and get fired. Sometimes you do a lousy job and get promoted. You know, we've seen that all through the league. I do think Kyle needs to change what he's doing defensively. Mm -hmm. As I said on the pod, he has to play. He has to build the defense around man coverage. He's got to be able to play one-third man, one-third zone, one-third man zone dogs. Because when you don't have three pitches in your defensive repertoire and you get to the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl where everybody is exhausted and the game's five hours long, you don't have any pitches to throw. 
Yeah, and and to your earlier point about where Steve Wilkes came from, of course, he was at Carolina, ended up being the interim head coach there going into last year, was not retained to be the head coach as they hired Frank Reich. And the 49ers had Robert Sala as their defensive coordinator for three years. They bring up D'Amico Ryans from linebackers coach to D.C. as an internal candidate. So this was the first time that they really reached out of what Kyle Shanahan knows to get an outside candidate. And what you say about scheme, Shanahan did say on the call, yesterday where we're going and where we're at with our team from a scheme standpoint and things like that looking through it all throughout the year through these last few days I felt pretty strongly this was the decision that was best for our organization so it seems like he agrees with your sentiments there I I think he had to I think if you study football you understand the game and you understand why you won and why you lost. And certainly Twitter's an expert on all these subjects. But if you can remove yourself from that and really watch the game tape and watch really that there wasn't enough detail. I don't think the communication was great. The front didn't play anywhere near what it had to be. Now, not all this is on Steve Wilkes, right? I mean, look, some guys are better in charge than they are as coordinators. I mean, Mike Vrabel's a perfect example. You look at Mike Vrabel's numbers as a defense coordinator when he was in Houston, they were not good. But when Mike Vrabel's a head coach, he's really good. And maybe that's the case with Steve Wilkes, because if you go back and look at his numbers when he was a defense coordinator at the University of Missouri, they were not very good. They were not very good. In fact, he was a one-year defense coordinator at the University of Missouri, and that's when he went to Carolina. So, And I'm not saying Steve can't be a defensive coordinator. I think, to me... Like all of us in the National Football League, we are best when we are in our own environment. You know, I I know this. If I go work for somebody outside of the structure that was started in Cleveland that ended up in New England, I'm not a very good scout. But if I'm in that structure, I can be very effective. And I think that's the same with coaches. And sometimes it's hard to marry the systems together, which is what I think San Francisco was trying to do. And it didn't work. And I think ultimately Kyle, I think Kyle made, I really, I think Kyle made the right decision. Now that's not all that's wrong with the team. And I'm not sitting here being an apologist for Kyle, but but I do think as a head coach, that was some decision he had to make. Yeah. And I think like for a lot of the people that I have heard using the word scapegoat for Steve Wilkes, and this is Kyle Shanahan, just trying to get somebody out of there when he's the one that's really insecure about him not being able to win the big games, yada, yada, yada. It's it's hard to grapple with uh, a defense that when you look at the numbers in terms of points per game allowed, yards per game allowed, takeaways being up and like numbers from that standpoint, actually being a slight tick better than what they were last year. But without looking at some of the deeper things, like you're saying, the fit from a schematic standpoint for what they want to do, the run defense that took a huge step back, which is a completely different thing. They go from what was it? The number two run defense in the NFL last year to number 26 this year, number one in EPA per play last year, falling to 12 in that category this season. So there were some areas as especially in the postseason when you saw just the way that this team was getting gashed on the ground against the Packers and against the Lions that I think things just ultimately start to add up. Um, And, you know, sometimes change is necessary and I think that's okay. And for Steve Wilkes, I feel bad for him because in this stance where all of the other jobs are taken, there's no more open or available for you to really find at this standpoint. That's unfortunate, but he's also a guy that's used to change. Uh, As Elliot pointed out, he's had five different jobs in the last six years. Right. And I mean, look, he's probably has two more years left on his contract, which makes him extremely attractive. Right. People think, well, there's no jobs. He's got screwed. Well, 
Yeah, there's plenty of jobs when somebody else is paying the freight, right? <laughs> and so you can come in and work for some other team. You can be the assistant head coach. I mean, there's a lot of things you can offer. And Steve has a good network of friends. You know, will it be the perfect job? Probably not. But I think this wasn't a perfect job for Steve either. I'm sure Steve has apprehensions too. You know, you could see it during the game. I, you know, if you watch the sidelines – you know, they had to call timeout. They had too many guys on the field. There were some communication issues. The blitzes weren't good. Again, it was a team loss. And this is I'm not blaming Wilkes and I'm not I'm not defending Shanahan here. It was a team loss. However, to me, when you have to view the game from thirty five thousand feet and you have to make decisions that are in the best interest of today, tomorrow and six months from now, You've got to be able to make hard decisions. And that's called leadership, right? That's called leadership, where most people think it's scapegoating. Well, this is called leadership, right? When Sean McDermott fires a guy midseason after he's been there for two years, to me, that's scapegoatish because Dorsey was there. If you didn't like what Dorsey was doing, why didn't you tell him in the offseason? Right. So to me, when you do that in season, when Del Rio gets fired in season and you're Ron Rivera, you, you had the whole offseason to tell him. To me, that's more scapegoatish than, okay, we've gone through the season. Here's where we are. And I think we've got to make that decision. Yeah. And I don't think, uh, like, I don't think it's an easy thing for anyone to do. But if you feel like something is not a fit and that it's not going to be what's going to work for you long term as you try to have success, then make the change now versus playing it out again and just seeing, seeing and hoping that things get better instead of making a change. So I think it's a, it's a tough thing to do. Um, we'll talk a little bit later on in the show. If he's not the fit, then who is? But for now, we've got some burning questions this offseason. Taking a look at the offseason calendar and what we need to know. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSEN, the sports betting network. If you haven't already, make sure you check out the new vcin.com. Our website's got a fresh new look, enhanced navigation, and a mobile first focus, plus improved functionality. And whether you are a new better or somebody who's been doing this a long time, we've got expanded educational content and best bets each and every day on the front page today. Lots of college hoops, lots of NBA betting trends and daily reports. Anything you could need, vcin.com. Make sure you check it out today. This is. The Lombardi line alongside Michael Lombardi, Stormy Bond and Tony with you. And now we are officially in the offseason, Michael. And Mm -hmm. throughout the offseason last year, you know, we go through team by team and ask burning questions, division by division, some burning questions. And we'll get to that. We've got a few months to kind of pace ourselves out. And so we figured today might be a good opportunity to do some burning questions. But with regard to some of the big, important dates on the offseason calendar and, you know, questions, key dates to know what information might be top of mind for you as somebody who's a former front office executive. So let's start with what's coming up in just a few days that february 20th through march 5th franchise tag window uh for example we've heard the Bengals are expected to tag t higgins so for anybody out there who might not know what does the franchise tag mean why are there different kinds of tags and what makes a player a good option to be tagged well so what happens is you you look over the landscape of the league and you say to yourself okay you know, this player for one more year at this number is somebody we want to keep. It gives us a chance to continue to develop the players around that position. We know that we can't afford them on a four-year deal, so we're going to rent them for one year. It's going to be completely guaranteed once he signs the contract, and then he has the opportunity to go back out there. It's a rental, not a purchase. And so oftentimes, like Kyle Pitts, who's listed as a tight end down in Atlanta, his number will be, I think, $10 million for a franchise number, which is not very much money considering uh, the position and what it takes and what it would cost them to sign him or what he would want in the open market. And so when that number is is balanced perfectly for them, okay, let's just do it. We'll rent him for one year. We'll see where he goes. So you have to understand the, the franchise tag is different than the fifth-year option. The fifth-year option is expensive. So that's why teams have not been picking up a lot of players' fifth year's options. It's too expensive. Whereas the franchise in some areas can be an economic value, especially when you're just renting. Because here's where you get in trouble, is if now if the Giants decide to franchise Saquon Barkley again, they have to go 130% over last year's number. Now you're in some serious cash. That's like $12 million. So you better, aren't you better off... 
yeah, aren't you just better off extending them out at 12 and a half or 13 million than you are? But what happens is is you're you're now purchasing. So there's lingering money that comes behind. Whereas if you rent, the rent's high and it's a high cap charge. You can't change the cap charge, but you only you get away from the acceleration of future years. So real quickly, what what do you think ends up happening with Saquon Barkley? Because obviously it was such a big offseason topic last year. Does he get the new contract? Does he test free agency and go elsewhere? What do you think happens there? I think the Giants love their own players, and I think that they'll they'll do everything they can to sign him. And I think they've got what I said last year when you and I were doing shows together out there in Las Vegas, and I said that the Giants were in the same position that Pat Riley talks quite a bit about in terms of, you know, everybody wants to get paid, you know, the disease of me. Mm. And it came out later that, you know, they were upset that that Daniel Jones got the big deal and Barkley got left behind. I think that's going to impact the Giants to sign Barkley. I think they have to try to get their locker room back. Look, Let's face it. You got Mike Vrabel out there. You got Bill Belichick out there. And you're in one of those situations. You're in year three of a program, whether it's New York Giants, whether it's, God forbid, the Jets, because they're too talented to begin <laughs> with. But that's a whole other subject. You know, I mean, why would you fire the greatest coach of all time? Oh, of course. So anyway, so like, you know, why would you? I mean, tremendous, man, tremendous. Uh, I think to me, you know, you, there's a lot of pressure on these teams to win because th- there's two really great coaches sitting out there. And you could say, well, Belichick's too old and Vrabel's too big and he's intimidating. But when push comes to shove next November, that's all we're going to be talking about, you and I. Yeah. I still, Who, where are they going? I still think that was one of the most ridiculous uh, things that we had seen come it, out. It is ridiculous. I don't even know who could have said that. Like, we're in a business of big people. Yeah, it's the like, NFL. Saw Orlando, You're around I saw big people Orlando, every day. I saw Orlando Brown's son, the starting left tackle for the Bengals. Love the kid. I signed his father for $100. We beat Worldwide Wrestling for him. And, and I watched that. I mean, this, there's no bigger human being than Orlando Brown Sr. When he walked into my office, I mean, you know, like he could fill up a whole room. You know, he had a bunkie with him. He would take naps on the floor. Like he was a big kid, you know, but he wasn't. I mean, he was intimidating to play against. First day we had him at practice, we, we gave him a tryout. We didn't even sign him. And he took the equipment guy who was holding a bag and he threw him about eight yards in the air and separated his shoulder. We had to sign him after that. So, you know, it was one of those things where, yeah, you're a big man, but we're around big people all the time. Yeah, anybody at NFL Honor see Julius Peppers walking around? It's a big dude. Like, that's just what this is day in and day out. But uh, we are here. On I, the- I don't get that. I didn't understand. How did that become a story? Unless how it was, you know? Somebody's feeding that for some reason. I don't know why. It's just making something out of nothing. I thought it was bizarre. Uh, we are talking burning questions for the NFL offseason key dates on the calendar. So also during this franchise tag window, we're going to have the NFL scouting combine that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Crazy how mm-hmm. fast things start happening. So the burning questions question there is which quarterback or skill position player Michael do you think has the most to prove during these live workouts or maybe even somebody you are particularly excited to see well I I don't think look I think we make way too much about the combine you know we had Russell on yesterday and he was talking about these interviews and throwing at the combine no none of that the interviews are scripted they're rehearsed You know, it's the when you go see the player in person and spend time and take them out to dinner that matters more than the combine. Now, what the positions that really can change the draft are the skill positions, right? 
Well, they're the ones where if you can run a Darius Hayward Bay fast 40 times or John Ross, you can move up the draft board completely or a corner that can really move up the draft board because he's, he runs faster than some people thought. Height, weight, and speed numbers become accurate from the combine, and that can help skilled players, defensive line, everybody move up. The quarterbacks are in a separate area all by themselves. Like most of them don't want to throw at the combine because it's too hard. The receivers, they run the routes differently. It's not, everything's not scripted. And they usually go back to their home territory and they have their own workout and people will come down and watch it. So for me, it's all about the skill players that can enhance themselves. And if you run a bad 40 time like Keenan Allen did not, he didn't, he ran in North Carolina, he didn't run at the combine. If you don't run, you know, and you have some questions about your speed, people then get a little worried and then they'll go watch you work out. The, the agents have scripted the combine so perfectly that there's not a lot of things you can get out of it from the combine you just get a visualization you'll get some testing but for the most part you're going to have if you like a player you're going to have to go fly there and spend time with them yeah that because they want to throw to their own receivers and stuff that's why those personal workouts the pro days on their home campuses are so important and it's interesting there's so much lying that goes on at the combine too we remember last (laughs) year bryce young how much water did that poor kid have to drink to get the over 205 pounds like it's all these different things well, there's so many narratives that come out. And remember, Stormy, today is February the 15th. We've had Valentine's Day. I hope you had a wonderful night. Thank I saw you. that you stayed at home and you had a bunch of flowers. I mean, Chris did an incredible job. Uh, but it's lying season. Once we mm-hmm. get past Valentine, we are in lying season. Yep. No one tells the truth from this day forward, right? Everybody is lying. And your job as an executive in the league is to figure out, What's real and what's not, you know, actually, it really started when Ryan Poles leaked to some reporter, whether it was Rappaport, Schefter, I don't know who he did it to, but he said that it would take a king's ransom to leave from there. Well, that's lion season. That's that's how we begin. (laughs) Yeah, and so we'll carry over more of these key dates, offseason questions in hour two a little bit later on. But to keep this going with the combine and looking ahead to the draft and all of those things, which is obviously on this graphic as well, April 25th uh, through the 27th in Detroit this year where the draft is going to be held. But lying season, it's so hard, Michael. How do you discern what's the information that's believable and useful for us as betters and what's not? Well, I think what you have to do is come back to reality, right? Okay, let's take a lying season note. Mike Mike Tomlin loves Justin Fields. Okay, let's take that. Okay, if you're an executive of some other team, he may like him as a player, but does is are this the Steelers? Is this something they'd be willing to do to give up a, a pick in the second round to do it? Now they've traded before with Poles. They got rid of Claypool, so you just have to logically start to look at it, right? And then you can separate what's real and what's not. Kirk Cousins going to Pittsburgh isn't real for cap reasons, not because they wouldn't be interested. Things like that. I should just make a page of lying season and just keep it going. Michael, see, in in the offseason when we really, really need content, that's great. Please get on it. Would love to use that as a segment coming up here in the near future. Um, I'm going to do that right now, Stormy. Please and thank you, my guy. This is what we need. We got to hit the break, though, real quickly. When we come back the next half hour, we're going to have VP of Operations here at Circa Resort and Casino. Mike Palm, join us in studio here in Vegas. We'll be right back. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSEN, the sports betting network. 
If you're looking for a betting edge on college hoops, the VEASAN experts have you covered. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. You'll get our daily best bet emails, 24-7 video access, and the upcoming college hoops betting guide with bracket breakdowns, plus full access to everything we do at VEASAN.com, including our betting split data on every game. Visit VEASAN.com slash pro to subscribe today. That's VEASAN.com slash pro, V-S-I-N.com slash pro. This is... The Lombardi Line alongside Michael Lombardi, Stormy Tony, with you as we welcome in an hour early today, VP of Operations here at Circa Resort and Casino, Golden Gate, the D, Mike Palm in studio. Welcome, my friend. Hello. How are you, Michael? I'm great, Mike. Good to see you. Uh, I'm sure you had a, a wonderful weekend. I'm sure you guys are all exhausted and tired after celebrating the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. We never had more people in the building, I'll tell you that. I mean, there was just no room to breathe. The big problem was routes to get to the bathrooms, just to get people, because <laughs> it was just a mass of humanity. And, you know, we set all kind of records for for right on the game and all that. We took $2 million bets, one on each side. We took two $500,000 bets, one on each side. So we booked it to need the 49ers. So, it, it, you know, we still won, but it would have been a lot more had the 49ers had, uh, had, had covered, uh, covered two. Did you guys get a lot of action in the prop markets as well? Oh, a ton of action on props. Um, yeah, a lot of props. They like to bet the the off-the-wall props, right? They like to bet that will an offensive lineman score a touchdown. They like to bet, uh, will more than two and a half throw a pass, which came through, right? Uh, so um, a lot of action on props. The squares were popular again. So, yeah, it was it was terrific. Mike, let me ask you, how did you handle two things? The national anthem. I don't know if you had that prop up. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you did, or how would you have handled the national anthem? Would you have counted the second brave? And then how did you handle the Gatorade? Because it was a little bit later than we all would have thought. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, we waited to book to book the Gatorade, although for a long time we thought, you know, it's it's not going to happen. That's going to be the result. And then we didn't do the national anthem. The national anthem is a very tricky one. Because, you know, you have rehearsals and, and people have inside info on that stuff. And, and then to your point, the first brave, the second brave. I mean, it, 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 it gets too much in the weeds where you're not in control of, of the betting market. How, uh, how was it from a like a party standpoint and everything that was going on around the game here in town? I know there's a concert on Fremont and all those different things. Yeah, they had concerts Thursday, Friday and Saturday night. The Offspring was the, the main one on Saturday. Uh, I thought the party at Stadium Swim was the best date ever done. You know, the most people we had ever had in Stadium Swim that one time was for the Canelo Triple G fight. We had 2,500. We had 3,100 at one point up there uh, during the first half of the game uh, on Sunday. And during the game, basically over 3,000 the whole time. The event center decided that Third Street that we block off for the week that we get per a permit from the city. They opened that up as a free party and put a screen over there. They had 6,500 people in the event center, 3,000 people in that corridor on third. I mean, so they almost had 10,000 people there. Uh, it was just, it was tremendous. They did a great job with the, the pyrotechnics. Uh, everything was, was great. And, and in the thing about this Super Bowl was it was really, it wasn't just the weekend, right, Michael? It, it was for us, it really started the week before. It wasn't even just Monday. We started doing hits the Tuesday before, the Tuesday after championship uh, uh, Sunday. So it was really two full weeks of nonstop. I mean, Derek must have did 200 interviews. He was on every national yeah. every national magazine. I got a little seven seconds on the NBC Nightly News Saturday in their story about in their story about really a lead up to Taylor Swift. But 
they, they did use a couple of my clips about uh, the NFL uh, and major sports leagues embracing gambling after having shunned it for so long. So they didn't use my Taylor Swift answer. As a handicapper and as someone who's pretty as astute on the NFL, what did anything surprise you in the game? I made, I think, four total bets on the game, Michael. And I told you, I teased the Chiefs. I bet an alternate line or double tease up to three and a half and laid 165, which when the game went off, you would have had to lay 240 to do that. I did it when it was still two and a half. I thought the number might come all the way down to one. It never got there. So that one, uh, I bet no score for six and a half. I got very, very lucky. (laughs) People do not talk about, you know, everyone wants to talk about the muffed punt or the punt that hit the leg and then he muffed it and... That changed the game. I think more important was the McCaffrey fumble on the opening drive. They were going in for a touchdown. They were dominating. And the 49ers were flying on both offense and defense in that first quarter. And you come away from it at 0-0. I think that changed the game more than anything. So I got lucky there. No score first six and a half. And I had under nine and a half first, first quarter. Those both hit. I bet McCaffrey over combined rushing and receiving yards, which hit in overtime. And then I lost the Pacheco over rushing yards. So I hit four out of five bets. So it was, it was okay. Um, I thought, um, you know, I thought that the 49er defensive line um, would have had more sustained pressure into the game. They didn't, you know, they had a lot of plays. They were out there in the second half and then into the overtime. I didn't think they were able to sustain pressure. I mean, Reed and Mahomes are so good in second halves. They make great halftime adjustments on both sides of the football, just like they did in Buffalo, just like they did in Baltimore. And, uh, and they continue to do it. And, you know, they, they, you could probably pick out 12, 15 plays and say if this went the other way, the game has a different result. So, I mean, I thought from a competitive standpoint, it was a great game and one of the best Super Bowls, plus being here in Las Vegas and historic, but it was a sloppy game as well. That's kind of how I walked away from it, especially from the 49ers standpoint of like, there was no one thing that was so egregious and the reason why they lost. And there were so many opportunities where they could have pulled away and made the game a little bit more out of reach. Um, But with what you said about the defense, what did you think of the news uh, coming out in the last 24 hours that Steve Wilkes is no longer with the team? I, I I, I didn't get it. I mean... I was going to ask Michael that in one of the pressing three, but I'm sure he would have discussed it already at different, different, if not multiple segments in the program. I don't know why. Uh, is it his fault? I mean, he, he, they were the walking wounded out there as well. It was just injury after injury after injury as well. That Dre Greenlaw thing uh, is a, such a freak. Unbelievable. Walking. And uh, I don't know. I mean, do they think they have somebody better? What the plan is? Um, uh, to me, do they need a change? I mean, after the year is over, do they need a change? I mean, was it really Ken Dorsey's fault in Buffalo? They needed a change. But did they need a change in this in this instance? I don't know. Maybe there's more behind the scenes that certainly I don't know about. Maybe you know, Michael, but it, it doesn't on, on the surface. It's a little head scratching. Well, you know, when I my first reaction after the game, Mike, was two things. I think if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I was his general manager, I, I would have the conversation with them. You know, we're going to have to get better at blitz zero, which when you watch the tape of the 20 all 22, they really weren't bad at blitz zero. They just weren't weren't connected in blitz zero. You know, they slid the line. They had Kittle in the backfield on the play, and McCaffrey's going to be open on the angle route, but the protection went the wrong way. And then the touchdown pass that could have happened to Ayuk, uh, to, uh, you know, they screw up that protection. So they weren't as bad in blitz zero 
from watching the TV version of the game to the actual tape of the game. But where they were bad from watching TV to the tape is their inability to really play man-to-man. And I think what we have to remember in Super Bowls, Mike, is that it's such a long game. And you hit the beginning of it perfectly. They were really playing well in the first quarter when they had all the oxygen, when they had all when they were ready to go. But as that five hour game wears on you, it takes a lot out of you. And the depth of the 49 defensive front wasn't nearly as good as it's been in the past. And they played a lot of plays, 23 plays in the fourth quarter alone. And so for me, you know, I think what, what I would have said to Kyle on the plane ride home is, Kyle, look, you know, we can't win with our front anymore. We can't play zone and we can't win with our front anymore. Like we're not the 86 Giants where Belichick can call flip cover two and he's got Lawrence Taylor over there. 86 was a different game. That wasn't a five-hour game and Taylor couldn't have gotten tired. So I think there has to be a philosophical shift. Now, I don't know because I've really never worked with Wilkes. Could he make that shift? Were the details getting handled when you watch the game tape? There were a lot of guys that were looking around, weren't sure on what to do. Is that all on Wilkes? No, but it is all on the defense. So, you know, I would have had a real issue coming home on that team playing more defensively than I would offensively because I think there were moments to that should have been captured that weren't. I was just curious, like hearing Shanahan talk in the conference call that that one sentence or two sentences kept sticking out at me where he said it just ended up not being the right fit. It was harder than it needed to be. And I just wondered, is that a relationships thing? Is that a scheme thing where it just didn't jive or what was the like ending factor? Probably the first thing you said, relationships, maybe. Michael, I want to ask you this. So, you know, we go to overtime, the new rule, the 49ers play. Oh, I, we didn't know the new rule. Um but 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 isn't there an uh, some sort of an advanced scouting by the 49ers that everybody and their brother comes out about how in August Andy Reid started practicing that if they ever got to overtime in the playoffs they would go for two when they got the ball if you knew that I don't care if your defense was tired if you knew Reid was always going to go for two when he got the ball second wouldn't you then give him the ball first because you're a dog to Mahomes going for two even if you score a touchdown in the right. first possession right uh, right I think they were exhausted. Fair yeah. point by John Lynch and <laughs> Shanahan. However, you've given him four downs yeah. and you want to keep him in a three down game. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to hit the break here real quickly. But when we come back on the Lombardi line, Mike Palm is sticking around with us. We'll get Palm's pressing three. And I, I do like the questions today. I know you oh, were very, very glad. curious. It's I'm very really important glad. to you. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Beast in the Sports Betting Network. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests we are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSEN, the sports betting network. This week on DraftKings Sportsbook, new customers can deposit $5 and get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet loses. Download the app and use the promo code VSIN when you sign up. That's V-S-I-N, DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. We're back here on the Lombardi line. Mike Palm live on the desk here at Circa Resort and Casino joining us. And it's time, Michael, for Palm's Pressing 3. What do you got today? All right, Michael, we've heard about and talked about the Chiefs and the 49ers ad nauseum. So I want to go back to Championship Sunday. Which of the two conference runners-up, the Ravens or the Lions, have a better chance of playing in Super Bowl 59? And what does each team need to do in the offseason to give themselves the best opportunity to make that happen? Well, both teams need to remain hungry, right? So what happens to you when you've never been successful before is you have the disease of me. Armand St. Brown, they're going to redo his contract looking at $25 million. Okay, so they're going to redo golf. How's that all going to play out? How are they going to handle success? Handling success is the hardest thing to do in sports. I mean, you can just see it by everybody taking credit for the Patriot way of what's going on there. I mean, you know, you got books being put out. You've got documentaries coming out. You know, you got the craft saying that they have no involvement with football. But then when you read the book, they were involved with football. So, when you win, everybody wants to everybody wants to jump on the platform. So that's a hard thing for Detroit. They've never won before. Baltimore, to me, they're got their issues are can they fix the staff? Can can they replace Mike McDonald, who did a wonderful job? Are they going to be as good defensively? They lose two of their best players in Clowney and Van Noy. 
who they picked up off the street. So, and then one of their best defensive linemen, and I can't say his name, Justin, and he's from Texas A&M. He's a free agent. He's going to get probably the highest paid money unless they franchise him, which is too expensive to do for a defensive lineman. So, you know, they've got a lot of question marks. I would say the one team sitting back who wasn't in the conference championship game, who's watched that game and said, this is really bad, is the Buffalo Bills. Because Buffalo had every chance to beat Kansas City. They had the ball last, right? They had a chance to get it to overtime. They had a chance to do everything they could. They had the ball for 37 minutes. They only they held the Chiefs to 22 minutes, even though they scored 27 points. They had ample opportunity. And I think their window is going to slightly close because they've got cap issues. They're not as good offensively. They got older. So it's a long-winded answer. I would say the Ravens, because they've been there before, and I think they'll handle it better than the Lions. Maybe, Mike, you think I'm crazy. I'd be a little bit more concerned about the Ravens just thinking about they had the best defense in the league this year. Lamar's had two MVP seasons and nothing to show for it. Patrick Mahomes has more Super Bowl wins than Lamar Jackson does playoff wins at this point. They've both been starting since 2018. Like I, I, I would be a little bit more concerned about the Ravens, especially within that division, how you're getting the Bengals and the Browns back with healthy quarterbacks next year. Yeah, I would answer the Lions. And if you look at it from a betting standpoint, Obviously, the Lions at 12 to 1, the Ravens at 9 to 1. I just, I think the Lions had the 49ers beat in San yeah. Francisco in the NFC Championship game, playing their kind of football. And you get a fumble and you get this and that. And, and you know, the decision, you don't kick the field goal, whatever. But I, I think they did everything. I think they're on this progression like the Cowboys were with Jimmy Johnson, where they've gotten a little better each year. They've gotten a little better. They actually should have been in the Super Bowl. Now, can they get back to that point where they're in control in, an, in a championship game? I don't know. But I'm pretty high on them. And I know the Packers are getting better and the Packers are going to give them. But but to Stormy's point... That division might have been the best of all time, and and you had Burrow hurt, right? And now he comes back. Okay, question two, Michael. How much credence do you give to the narrative that Kyle Shanahan can't win the big one? Zero. Absolutely zero. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's it's the same narrative we heard from Andy Reid, 41 years old, his second year at 42. You know, it's all over at every Wawa back here. When Andy Reid was the head coach of the Eagles, that's all we talked about. That became everything. Andy can't win a big game, went to four conference championship games, went to a Super Bowl. He can't win a big game. McNabb can't win a big game. And then the end happened. They got rid of McNabb. They thought they could go with Kevin Cobb. They signed Michael Vick, you know, and and that didn't really work. Um, Obviously, Vick played for Chip Kelly, too. But to me, the getting to these games are hard. Like, it's really hard. We got two coaches in the Hall of Fame, Bud Grant and Marv Levy, who went to four. We put George Allen in the Hall of Fame. He went to one and lost. So, like, I just think it's people with no knowledge of history or no understanding that the guy on the opposing sideline, the same rhetoric was, same narrative was talked about him. He can't win a big game. Big Red's not a good game, big game coach. He panics. Now, look, he does mess up. There's no game management. You can't argue that. Early in his career, he still calls timeout with 2.07 to go. But beside the point, you know, he was able to overcome that. Even when he went to Kansas City with Alex Smith, he still had that knock on him. So I just think it's completely a ridiculous narrative. It's a narrative that happens when you win a lot, right? There's always something that is created when you win a lot. New England won a lot. Well, it's Brady, not Belichick. That's the narrative, right? There has to be some reason. You know, this one is, you know, Shanahan can't win a big game. 
I think it's completely wrong. I, I think he just stopped paying attention to it because, look, the expectations when you win or with the bar, who's setting the bar for you? Are you going to let people that have no understanding about the expectation bar or are you going to set it yourself? And I think that's what Kyle has to spend his offseason just looking at that. Well, hopefully Kyle's not like Andy Reid, where he has to go to another franchise to get those wins. <laughs> because, yeah, like, but, it, but Stormy, the franchise, all the fan base, all oh, got to get rid of Kyle. Like, no, who's I, a better I'm, coach than Kyle? No, I'm not. I'm not of that camp. I just know that it's oh, know made me personally sad that in all of those games you've had a ten point lead and not won them. That it's made me sad. But I don't want another coach. I want Kyle Hanahan. Kyle Shanahan to win a Super Bowl with the 49ers, just not somewhere else like Andy Reid had to leave Philadelphia to get one in KC. Tom Landry couldn't win the big one. Dean Smith couldn't win the big one. There's all these narratives. We'll see how history pans out. He's got a lot of time left and he's health willing. His dad's still there guiding him. All right, final question, Michael. And this is one of the things I enjoy talking to you about here on your show. When the competition committee meets, Michael, what rule changes Will they consider, and what rule changes, in your opinion, should they consider? Well, I think they're definitely going to consider the ball going through the end zone is not the uh, the defensive ball. I think they're mm-hmm. going to consider that one strongly. I think there's a – remember, the, the competition committee is influenced by the, the media. It's inv- influenced by the narrative. I also think if they have any interest in safety, player safety, the, the tush-push, they might want to think about that too. Because that's a lot of people getting pushed in a different direction. And I'm not saying they should ban the play, but I always felt like you couldn't aid the runner from behind. I thought that was a rule. Little did I know you could. So I think those are the two that are on to me that I see will be the most prevailing conversation because that, especially the ball through the end zone, that seems to be everybody's conversation, right? Everybody thinks it's a ridiculous rule and everybody, you know, wants it changed when it happens to them. Everybody loves it when it happens to them on the positive side. So that, and and look, I think we got to, I'm not sure about the overtime rules. Like, I, I don't know how I felt about that, right? We, we were going to play extra period anyway. You know, if it would have been tied, we'd have gone to an – is that really what we wanted? Now, obviously, the ratings are great, but we're talking about player safety. Now we're adding more plays. I, I wasn't in love with the overtime the way it was set up. I, I think, to me, it's, it's a little bit – everything – I don't want it to be based on the coin toss, but I also don't want it to be based on, okay, we're going to keep going. Actually, the college rule – is to me, I think you get more excitement out of that. I just hope whatever rules are changed, that the players know what they are. That would be great. <laughs> well, that's your boy. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would say I would say that they probably, if they paid attention in the meeting and they weren't sleeping or on their phone, they might. <laughs> um, I have one more. Can I ask Michael? I'll allow it. I, I have to. I have to ask this question, Michael, because I was mesmerized by your twenty-four minute interview on that Boston radio, <laughs> radio station and you were you were comparing accountability in the profession of an NFL executive player development person with accountability in a radio talk show host right with this guy right. and and he said well you're in the media now aren't you isn't that your profession and you answered yes I write books I write books do you consider yourself now an author is that your main thing that you do in life that's what I like to do the most. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. of myself today. I'm going to interview Steve Pressfield, who mm-hmm. wrote a book called The Daily Pressfield. He's written. He wrote this, the the Bagger Vance book. 
I spend a lot of time in the creative world because I think that's the best part of my life right now. So yeah, I do. I, I, I don't see myself as a talk show to spin stories that have no relevance. And as I told that guy, he has no idea. <laughs> my biggest regret of that interview was I should have used the Uncle Junior line. Some people are so far out of the race, they actually think they're in the lead. And that fits for him. That was one of the most entertaining interviews ever. Like everything this guy said, Michael just shuts it down, shuts it down. Have you been in the building? No, well, how okay. How about when he thought that Bill's listening to him? How about he thinks <laughs> Bill's listening to him? I mean, how self-serving is that? So good. Uh, Mike Palm, thank you so thank much you, for doing Mike. this. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. We're going to hit the break. We'll be back with hour two in a moment. This is the Lombardi Line on Visa and the Sports Betting Network. 